0: Yes. Welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's Saturday morning as always. I indulge in a third coffee, as has become the the habit slash tradition of these Saturday morning discussions. And it's great to be back. Now, just to let you know that uh, I want to discuss Katie Taylor, big, big night tonight, Madison Square Garden. I want to discuss... Um, a video I watched it was actually a New York Times video, but I saw it on the Irish Times about the mental health crisis in adolescence, which uh, I thought was it was interesting and um, obviously we'll start in the usual way. I sound, I sound like does uh, anyone here listen to headspace? Let's begin in the usual way. now, just breathe. Um, I relied on I relied on the old headspace guy very heavily. In the the first summer of the pandemic, pand- pandemic, damn that pandemic, uh, I relied on him very heavily. In that first summer of the pandemic, I experienced a, a bout of uh, severe anxiety. Uh, that sort of middle of the summer, um, and uh, I would listen to the Headspace guy. But here's the problem with with that, and this is not no criticism of Headspace, but now when I hear his voice, the English guy. Um, so today we're going to do dealing with our anxiety. Um, a lot of times it's all thinking. But anyway, his voice, now when I hear it, it just triggers me thinking about how stressed out I was during that time. So I don't use Headspace anymore because I sadly programmed a, uh, an anxiety response based on his very relaxing voice. So once I hear that, I think of, you know, struggling to keep it together for a few weeks there in the summer of the pandemic, which is not a criticism of Headspace, but it's just something to keep in mind that I think that app is best used uh, not to deal with your anxiety, but to uh, prevent it. But actually, if you're having severe bouts of anxiety, that in a way, it's almost like too late for Headspace. Headspace is to avoid the bouts of anxiety. Now, listen. I'm just giving you my own personal experience. Some people may have found that uh, Headspace really helped them during their anxiety. And by the way, Headspace did help me during my anxiety, but it seems to have been a one-off. Because now, when I listen to it, I just think about how stressed out I was. So let's begin in the usual way. Um, And uh, so, just to say that the the spring, the winter spring version version segment of the Mia Mama tour finished on Thursday night in. Newbridge. So, no gig plugs now for <clears throat> Oh god, excuse me. No gig plugs now until um I guess the autumn. Um we'll see what evolves during the summer, maybe some some American shows, but I'm heading back to New York tomorrow. Uh, a few things I got to do. I got to go back and uh just got to sort out a little bit of stuff at the house and um I have to, uh, you know, take Romeo to the vet and, um, oh, and I have to get married. Oh, my God, I have to get married. I startled Fry. Fry the dog who I have to return to Bella's grandparents today. So, anyway, I'm heading back to the States to get married. So, um, every time I say I'm getting married, I can't. Stop singing, Somebody's Getting Married, Somebody's Getting Married, which I'm pretty sure is from The Muppets. Somebody, 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 somebody. Because I think Kermit and Miss Piggy were getting married. Somebody's Getting Married. Actually, I think I want that to be the walk in song at my wedding. <laughs> It's time to play. Anyway, uh, as you can see, I'm in a good mood. So, um, oh, a hip hip update. I saw the surgeon yesterday, and it's all good. But the pain was uh, bursitis, which I had seen on Google's potential. And he said, the surgeon said, that in all his years, Of doing surgery. He hasn't had many patients that have done as much as I have done in the first five weeks and five days post hip hip arthroscopy. Um, He had seen my show in Waterford and uh, he wasn't giving out to me, but he said I'm exactly where he thought I would be based on uh, the level of stuff that I was doing. Now, it's not that my show was that demanding. It wasn't it wasn't specifically saying that the show itself was an issue, but three to four nights a week of driving to shows, you know, sometimes like driving to Sly going back in the one night, uh, driving to shows, standing up on stage, performing, you know, where you're full of adrenaline and you're not feeling pain and you're probably like pushing it to the limit. Plus rehab, was all a bit much. So surprise, surprise, once again in my life, in a life of overdoing it, I overdid it again. Well, well, well we never grow up, do we? I have been overdoing it my entire life. Feast or fucking famine with the old Dez. So, but he did say that I'm, I'm good, that uh, the bursitis, which had faded by the time, was not bone pain. See, my problem was I thought I fucked up the joint, which I did not. So, uh, crisis averted last week. I was a little depressed. Now, I have to say that my surgeon, who, you know what, I'm going to name him, Mr. Patrick Carton, at the Whitfield Clinic in Waterford, UPMC Whitfield Hospital. Amazing. Amazing. And I was a little bit disturbed, annoyed. I felt it was unfair that the Irish son wrote a whole story. My hip hell. Des uh, concerned he'll be limping down the aisle. And they basically took my, my, my Saturday anxiety-ridden post... Sorry, uh, Stephen Mullen, just messaging me there. I forgot to turn off the the beep on the phone. Um. Uh. And then I and then I pulled the fucking wire out of my headphones. Jeez, it all fell apart there. One lean forward, but anyway, um. You know, listen, people can write whatever they want. I'm not complaining. It's not. It's not the biggest deal. Obviously, you're speaking publicly on a podcast. People can talk about it, but you know, it was. It was a. I was annoyed because actually, you know, it's the, I had such a great experience there at UPMC Whitfield and he 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 has been a great guy and I was just like and if you if you google uh you know, there's a lot of stuff about like it's not as bad as it feels when it's bad and you're not as good as you are when it feels good so don't overdo it when you feel good and don't get too distraught when you feel bad like it was very normal anyone who's had surgery very normal sort of the ups and downs of how you're feeling and for a catastrophizer like me it's very easy to think that you've done something seriously wrong and by the way look up bursitis the pain can be very severe and I mean it was fucking intense for a while you know there was a time on Saturday where I literally thought like I thought I cracked my hip joint that's the truth so but anyway I'm fine, and uh, I, and I also thought that I'd set myself back a number of weeks, but that's not the case. And anyway, so I saw the surgeon yesterday, so all is good, ready to rock, um, uh, ready to get uh, ready to get married. So, um, but I did overdo it, but it wasn't a case. I didn't overdo it in a way that I was annoyed at myself about. I didn't overdo it with the rehab. It's just that. I was always going to be overdoing it by doing the second half of my tour after hip hip arthroscopy, but all good. He's happy. And he said that like where I'm at in terms of five weeks and five days, in terms of the things that I still can't do, like a single leg raise and all these things. He says, that's like very normal. Like you're, you're by no means behind the pack at all. So all good. I'm not racing ahead. I'm not head of the class in terms of my, you know, in my development, other people can do a, a single uh, leg raise by the time six weeks hits. Um, and other people can walk completely without a limp by the time six weeks, but I'm definitely in probably the largest pack of people in terms of this amount of time. So, uh, and it's also just nice, you know, when you know that it's bursitis, then when you feel a pain, you're not thinking like, oh shit, I'm, I've gone backwards. You just know that it's these, anyway, I, I think I've talked about it too long once again, but hey guys, you know we're here for the we're here for a while. We're going to be here for a while. We got a lot of things to we got a lot of things to discuss. So uh, anyway, the tour is over, and here we are. Let's talk about Katie Taylor first. You know it's a weird thing, and I don't know if it's sexism or misogyny, but women's sport makes me cry more than men's sport. Just want to put that down on the record. There's something about moments I mean, I I you know, I can't I can't think of too many, but like off the top of my head, but some generic examples would be like when a gymnast nails it and you know what's it's so strange is that it's the success that makes me cry. I mean, I feel for people like when they don't nail a landing in gymnastics. Um, I feel, you know, but but there's just something, I like I'm literally getting choked up now just thinking about, I don't know why, but I have bawled my eyes out listening to Venus and Serena giving acceptance speeches. You know? Um, I... I can't think of specific moments in gymnastics, but there's just these moments where you see a culmination of a life of sacrifice and dedication, like, you know, just land in their face, just the joy in their face, the relief in their face as they, like, hit that landing in gymnastics. A swimmer taking their goggles off and, like, punching the air. And it's women that make me cry. I, 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 I don't know why, but female sport makes me emotional. And I don't think this is a criticism, but I, I, I don't know why. It hits me deeper in the heart. And Katie Taylor, I just was listening to RT Radio yesterday, a promo for her fight tonight. Historical moment in women's boxing. And I couldn't stop tearing up. You know, there's like these clips of Katie Taylor as a kid, you know, and 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 her mother talking about the fact that like from the age of six, she would stand up on a chair to receive her medal. Like it was in her head from the get-go. And just the fact that like this, this kid always knew that she wasn't going to be held back by the, you know, the limitations of gender and sport. You know, and they had to, they had to change the rules, uh, for her to, you know, playing football in, in, out in Wicklow when she was a kid. I don't know. There was just something about. I just kept tearing up, you know, and then thinking about 2012. Uh, you know, we were, I I was in Edinburgh. I was doing my show in Edinburgh with my buddy Bob, the drumming show. And, uh, so Bob and I were living together in the Edinburgh Fringe and, uh, in, in Newtown in Edinburgh, doing exactly what I'm doing now, waking up in the morning, going for fucking amazing lattes on Broughton Street. And I remember the two of us listening to the radio. We didn't have it on the TV. We listened to it on the radio. Katie Taylor and her fight. And it was, we were laughing about it because... You know, we're, we're like so emotional, like you know, patriotic for for Katie, but then, <laughs> then, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the moment, you're just like fucking go on, fucking kill her, kill her, fucking kill her. You know, and it's brutal. It's a brutal sport. Go on, kill her, bitch, kill her, fucking pound her to the fucking floor. Go on, kill her. It's brutal. But then the victory, so sweet. You know, this fucking, this just unique Irish woman, dedication to the sport all her life, trailblazer. You know, listen, Venus and Serena, you know, they've I've always just been such a, a ridiculous fan of them all my life. So is my mother. Well, not all my life, but all their career, which is like half of my life. Half of my fucking life has been watching the Williams sisters. That's how fucking long their career has been. Um, but they were, they were trailblazers in terms of who they were. And they were trailblazers in taking women's tennis to the next level. But there was a lot of trailblazers before them. But in women's boxing, not so much. Katie Taylor... And and, and this is this is I'm not comparing the Williams sisters, but what I am saying is that she has uh, taken the sport almost single handedly, taken female boxing to the next level. A fucking Irish girl from Bray, you know, take the sport to the next level. You know, that fucking like her accent's weird anyway. But then she has like a little bit of the bride, you know, the wink, la, you know, and it's great. It's fucking great, you know. Kill the fucking bitch! <laughs> it's terrible. It's 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 so weird, but but it, it boxing it works actually. Like I, I some I've 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 struggled to find the same passion for women's team sports. You know, uh, other than beach volleyball, and I don't say that because they're wearing fucking hot bikinis. Actually, I love beach volleyball. Uh, and actually, women's beach volleyball is is better to watch than men's because the rallies are better. But I'm not like a passionate beach volleyball guy. But like, if I happen to be wanting to watch beach volleyball or I'm looking for some inspiration, I I enjoy watching the women more than the men. But I'm not like a beach volleyball enthusiast in terms of watching. And I'm I, I've I've enjoyed the women's World Cup, but like I don't know I don't get as connected to it i don't love it as much Uh, i'm admitting that and i'm sure that there's you know that that may change as they get better coverage and different i know that a lot of it has to do with coverage you know i i this isn't really going to be a debate about women's sport because i'm i'm aware of, of of all the things that have been holding them back but i have always had for a long time in my life uh a passion for women's tennis and gymnastics and ice skating obviously figure skating the other fucking the other big crier that i failed to mention you know the other fucking brutally emotional sport That honestly it's child abuse a lot of what these kids have to go through to get to that level but god damn it it is it is the most intense entertainment but anyway my point that i was about to make before i got a little sidetracked there was women's boxing works for me. Like I get just as much entertain like like I don't watch a Katie Taylor fight and think that it's not as good as men's boxing. Now, I know that they punch with less power and you know, I you know I know it's not as competitive at the moment uh as in there's not as many, you know, like there's not as many women at that level but that's going to change. But even at the level that it's at right now, which honestly, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano tonight for me is as exciting as Tyson Fury last week. It's as exciting to me. This is one of the most important boxing matches of my life. I put it in top 10 moments And, and listen, you know, I was a kid. We were obsessed with Mike Tyson. So that number might not be fair, but like, and, and I'll also admit that, you know, in my later years, I haven't been as plugged into boxing. So this isn't coming from like, a fanatic, my father was a boxing fanatic. I am not a boxing fanatic, okay. But I have had times in my life where I particularly plugged into certain boxers, and I was, uh, you know, uh, 11, 12, 13 years old when Tyson was at his peak, so I was there for the pay per views. And the, I was there, I had like 12, 15 people in my house. We paid for fucking Mike Tyson Spinks, Tyson Spinks, which was one of the greatest letdowns. It was 93 seconds. And it was a big waste of money uh you know and if anyone knows me to stay up after 10 o'clock when i was young even today is, is a struggle so you know i had to stay up late you know stop myself from falling asleep to watch 93 seconds of tyson spinks but that was a moment in time that the good tyson years before he let us down anyway you, you know what i'm saying but again post digression katie taylor amanda serrano Couldn't be more excited. I mean, fucking huge. Because, first of all, I have no idea who's going to win. Like, I I want Katie to win. I think she's better. But this is a fucking matchup. You know, this is a real fight. Who's going to win? Boxing doesn't have these that often these days. You know? Boxing doesn't have these moments of, I can't call it. You know? and also it doesn't have these moments of like this is historical probably the beginning of a trilogy you know it's fucking huge i'm gonna be tense baby and you know it it matters to me as much as like mcgregor diaz uh mcgregor um Oh God! Why it just like I'm having a mental blank. But you know the McGregor fight where he clocked the guy, knocked him out in the first round. His name has just gone out of my head. But and I'm not a big MMA guy, which is why I'm forgetting this guy's name. But I, I again, a moment of time where I was plugged into McGregor before he, again, another Tyson situation, let us down with his antics. You know, uh, I was uh, fascinated by that period of time in Conor McGregor's career. Aldo, by the way, I forgot his name. Uh, Aldo, uh, but again, like, couldn't call it back then, you know. So it was fucking tense, you know. The Nate Diaz fights, you know, and he fucking lost, you know. It was, it was, it was tense, you know. Um, but this one, oh god, I am gonna be fucking on edge tonight, man. I am gonna be on edge. But how special though that it's a sellout. In Madison Square Garden. I mean, like, come on. F- women's boxing. Irish woman. You know? Puerto Rican woman. In New York. You know? Two fucking immigrant communities. I mean, I know there's probably going to be more Puerto Ricans there, but, like, you know that fucking ole, ole, ole. is going to be ringing out. And I'm like, you know, so I wish I wish I fucking flew back yesterday. I wish I flew back yesterday. I'd be at that fucking fight, man. God damn it. Oh. It's going to be great. So, Irish pride for Katie Taylor, but also fair play to them both for, you know, doing it for women, fighting against, you know, everything that they fought against, fighting for the sport. You know, Katie Taylor got fucked because, you know, she, um, she could have went pro but she wanted to fight again she wanted to go to another olympics and then they changed the rules so she kind of missed out on 4 years of a professional boxing career you know that you know let's just say she might have been at this moment a little earlier she's 35 she might have got to this moment a little earlier i think she's 35 right let me just double check that yeah let me go to my my self production here um uh because uh i don't want to get any facts wrong uh about her 35 years of age born in 1986 um and uh let's uh let's just make sure i have all my facts right let me let me google that actually um uh, doesn't matter but anyway just just anecdotally from my memory i remember feeling like she got screwed that she wasn't able to go pro after 2012, uh, and still be able to box uh, in the Olympics. Uh, it's also hard to believe that it was 10 years ago. Um, please DM me if I've gotten my facts wrong. Um, this is a this is kind of a of the most like like uh, Katie Taylor just followed her career, but you know I also you know oh, anyway it doesn't matter, but it's just a memory of feeling like it was unfortunate that she couldn't go pro. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, the sport has evolved so much because of her. Like, literally, this fight, the level, it's all because of her. And I I feel like in a way that maybe, you know, just, just, the, just the fact that she thought it was worth not going pro at that time was because even then the industry was so underdeveloped. And it's developed so much to... To in, in in the period of time since then it's developed so much that she could headline Madison Square Garden you know but what I love about her too is she's not afraid to be the history she's not afraid to come out there and be like this is a historical moment for Irish boxing and you know a big um, a historical moment for women's sport and you know like and honestly the fact that she, her emotion for uh, she could talk about like I'm going to make a fry this morning. I went down and I bought some Denny's sausages from the shop. And yeah, my two, two eggs. We like two eggs with my breakfast. You know, she could say that in the same tone as we're selling out Madison. First time, a female boxing headline in Madison Square Garden. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, but I feel like that's, that's her skill that she Fucking takes it in her stride. You know? And she's very religious. Obviously, that's not my jam. But... It works for her. So I'm down with it for her. You know? Because she feels like she's guided by the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'm and i down with it. Fucking Holy Spirit. Activate. Holy Spirit. Activate. Activate. And Katie Taylor tonight. Holy Spirit that I do not believe in. Activate! You know? Because... You know, whatever whatever it does for her mentally, you know, puts her in that fucking special place. I love it. You know? And I think all that that sort of monotone emotion, it just she can handle the big occasions. It's like she was genetically modified for this. She's a prophet. She's actually a prophet. You know? Sent by the equality gods to fucking single-handedly, with gloves on, so double-handedly, pull fucking women's sport into the next generation. And then in this RTE clip, you know, you hear some some kid now, today, some little girl talking about sport. And I can't remember, but I just remember it made me cry because he was like, so this girl has somebody to look up to you know, and then it, it helps you to understand And old oh, relic like me, a toxic you know, toxically masculine relic, oblivious most of his life to the privilege of maleness. And I know this sounds woke, but I actually I'm not this isn't coming from a woke place, it's it's coming from a place of awareness. It's it's like an epiphany, little moments where you realize that. Little girls didn't have the same role models as little boys. I had infinite sporting role models growing up to look up to, to think one day I could be that. Infinite! They had fucking slim pickings. You know, the majority of them literally came from the Olympics and from tennis. Slim pickings. I'm sure you can think of some other sports that, you know, may have... You know, uh, may have mattered at that time, but it was slim fucking pickings compared to the role models that I had. So then, when you hear this little girl and she's like talking about what it means for Katie Taylor and that you can do anything and nothing can hold you back, and girls are as important as boys in sport, and it just fucking hits you in the heart, and you're like, yeah, women like this matter, moments like this matter, and and maybe it's male of me to get so emotional for sport. <laughs> Maybe the fact that it's sport that gets me is is pretty male. Maybe not, but it fucking does. It gets me. Helps me to understand. So fair play to her. Win or lose tonight, a fucking prophet sent from the heavens to drag fucking clowns like me into the present, you know? I mean, the trolls will be out there, but the results speak for themselves. A fucking sellout. Well, I'd, actually, it may not be j- sold out just yet, but pretty fucking close. Headline in the garden, profit. Yeah, you know? in the fucking sports bible, there will be a fucking, uh, there will be a chapter. The book of Katie Taylor. You know, chapter five, verse six. You know, chapter five, verse six. I never let the boys let me down. I just kept showing up and keeping playing because I was specially talented. Yeah, it's great. And she's been through a lot of shit with her dad. You know, she's got her own struggles. The documentary of her life will be a doozy. Fucking gunshots and everything. Anyway, I'll stop now before I get too emotional. Uh. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, so, good luck to Katie Taylor. Um, but I respect Amanda Serrano, too. Congratulations to both of them. For what they've achieved, against all odds, um, and uh, that's that. I can I, It's even hard to talk about anything else. I'm so, I'm so deep in my feelings. What the hell am I gonna do? Oh, fuck. I hope. To, I hope that I haven't just like proved that I'm like a psychopath or something. You know the way that, in the Sopranos, they allude to it, but the fact that. Oh, they actually literally spell it out at the end. Now that I think of it, but the fact that Tony could just connect emotionally with animals—that they they that they they actually had uh, empathy for animals, compassion for animals, but not for their own species—was like a sign of a psychopath. I hope I haven't just proven that. Like they're like, oh yeah, um, one of the uh, best examples of deep-seated misogyny is men only being able to understand the plight of women in sport. (laughs) I hope I haven't just proven. I'm not looking it up. I'm just joking around, but you know, it'll it'll be pretty annoying to find out. It's like, yeah, some uh, men with deep-seated misogyny only can emotionally connect to women when they win in sporting events. And most of them have still can't emotionally connect to a disappointed woman at the end of a sporting event. They'll only cry when they win. <laughs> I'm joking around, guys. We're having a laugh here. Um, and, you know, listen, it's not the first time I've discussed my passion for uh, women's tennis. So, anyway, um, I won't talk too long about this other thing, but I, I highly recommend... Oh, actually, let's just take a quick break from serious subjects i'm showing my age here but there was an alarming story in the irish times and i i nearly had a heart attack you know paracetamol supplies to irish pharmacies experiencing shortages what the fuck Am I going to do? <laughs> That's like, like, when I saw that, I was like, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> I need my over-the-counter painkillers. No. <laughs> if ibuprofen comes in shortage, shortage, how am I going to live? How am I going to live? For our American listeners, paracetamol is Tylenol. It's another word for acetaminophen. Imagine a Tylenol shortage. A fucking Panadol shortage? Jesus Christ. You know? A Sarpentine shortage. You have Joanne McNally fucking tearing her hair out. But uh, anyway, um, that's just a quick joke. But hopefully it doesn't last too long. Because God knows I've been fucking tearing the paracetamol out of it now with this. I'd be pro from paracetamol. My best friend the last week. So uh, anyway, finally, uh, this this is kind of serious, but, you know, there's a lot of people. Discuss what's going on. I even had I had a discussion about this with um, with Bella myself. Uh, Bella being my cousin who lives with me. She's twenty one, and uh, she's you know she's living with me. But she comes from that generation where uh, mental health issues have become uh, a huge problem. And so I happen to notice uh, I noticed something the other day about increase in suicide rates and self harm mental health issues in adolescence. Uh, so I was actually discussing it with her. Uh, and I was saying that they can't pinpoint what it is. Um, and obviously she was making her assumptions. Uh, I think that the, the anecdotal assumptions in, in that generation are social media, climate change, um, and, you know, social media climate, sorry, climate uh, anxiety, anxiety about the end of the world. Uh, with the two the two things that come out obviously uh, straight away, uh, p- perhaps that what goes with that is uh, less uh, f- real human social interaction. Um, but so anyway, it just so happens then that there's a video on the Irish Times website today, which is actually a New York Times video about increase in self harm and suicide rates in teenagers, which is a real crisis. Um, and it was just it was interesting, and this is only just it was just a quick insight. Uh, into some of these things that i you know i've been thinking about like what what is driving this but what was interesting is it it also pointed out that the big issues for my adolescence were teenage drinking binge drinking drug use uh, uh drunk driving these were like the big issues of my adolescence which you know they, they they were they were a big deal at the time and they were certainly the big fears that my parents i mean my mother was at me about fucking drinking from the age of 14 and this has become less it's less of an issue now for parents when i think about adolescence or even like when i think about listening to parents back in the day their biggest fear was my child ending up on drugs which it almost it seems antiquated now you know it's my child doing drugs that was the big fear and in the video, they even point out the messaging that used to come out. You know, this is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Irish people wouldn't have known that commercial, but you may have, you may have seen it in in, in pop culture because there were a lot of jokes about it. But it was a frying pan, uh, and then it would say, "This is drugs," and then they'd crack an egg, and the bread, the 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 egg would start frying, and they'd say, "This is your brain on drugs." Um, so, uh, any questions? Um, I think they might have showed the egg first. Also, this is your brain. Uh, this is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? But uh, sort of an effective ad, in that we never forget it. Whether it actually helped, I don't know. But that was very much the the messaging to adolescents. Uh, oh, and teenage pregnancies. Like you know, so the, these were the big concerns back in the day, and all of those things have dropped. Drug use, drinking drink driving especially, teenage pregnancy, all massively dropped in uh, current adolescence. Self-harm, suicide, massively on the rise. And I don't think all the stats are out, but the assumption is that the pandemic is going to have increased that again. So there's going to be an even bigger spike uh, due to the pandemic. And obviously, everybody's out there trying to figure it out. And this this uh, this video doesn't have all the answers, and I I again as always on this podcast haven't done the deep dive that is necessary on this, and I definitely again need to get somebody on um, to talk about it. But the big takeaways that I took, which are uh, you know good, because I think a lot of us think about this personally. I think a lot of my listeners have fucking kids at this age, uh, so they're probably worried about it from from that point of view. Uh, I I you know I'm just worried about it from the point of view of you know seeing uh, some people I know struggle, but also. Uh, you know, just caring about society, particularly social media's influence on society, which by the way is not as definitive as people think. Like everybody just likes to think it's social media, but there really is no science to back that up. There is science to say that social media will exaggerate or accelerate mental health problems in people that are experiencing them. Um, but it, it's not to say that it's actually the social media that's creating the problem. Perhaps it's exacerbating it, but again, none of it is definitive, you know? Um, but what is interesting, which I did not know, uh, which maybe I'm late to the party, or maybe I've heard it, but didn't really register it. But puberty is happening earlier and earlier, which the, what I thought was interesting about the video is uh it's giving a scientific reason for some of the problems, which is that puberty is firing up uh, parts of the, the brain uh, that, you know, lead to, um, uh, like, impulse control, uh, or, sorry, the it's firing up parts of the brain. Again, you're going to have to watch the video. I didn't write it down. But let's just say, so that I don't fucking sound like an idiot and say it wrong, let me just speak vaguely that a part of our brain that fires up when we hit puberty, uh, that will lead us to be more emotional, seek out, uh, try to figure out who we are, seek out status, uh, seek out, you know, enjoyment, you know, push boundaries, uh, all all the parts of the brain fire up, but they're firing up earlier. And the, I think the prefrontal cortex, uh, hasn't evolved in time to control a lot of these impulses so actually there seems to be now a longer period of time where the madness of fucking post pubescent brain activity doesn't have the other parts of the brain that it needs to fucking control it so there's almost like a like an increased uh complicated adolescence because puberty is happening earlier and they allude very quickly to why puberty might happen earlier. Uh, screen time, light, diet. But again, that's another thing that needs a deeper dive. But let's just say, we don't know exactly what's causing it, but puberty is happening earlier. You know, the average age of puberty, like I think 100 years ago, used to be 16. Now it's 12 or 11 or 12. You know, so, and, and, and definitely as a result of uh, social media, I guess, access to to things that the teenage brain might find difficult to make sense of is infinitely greater. Uh, so much information coming from the phone. So much stuff to view all right, with a brain that just can't fucking deal with it. So, you know... Uh, I guess I, I think in amateur psychology terms, or in my dumbass head, it literally just feels like, for a lot of teenagers, it's like trying to run twenty twenty two apps on a fucking iPhone six, you know, or an iPhone four. The phone just can't fucking take it, you know. So you're getting you're getting these like you know, early early access to very complicated stuff for your brain to process without any of the upgrades in the fucking hardware. That's a lot, right? So even before they get to social media, even before they get to the things that we think are driving the increase in mental health issues, which they clearly are, you know, they're already sort of you know, they're already, uh, experiencing like brain issues, issues related to too much too soon, uh, just from a, from a, a brain point of view. Now I, I, I couldn't get that. It's just a video, isn't it? I couldn't get any distinct conclusion to how much damage is uh, long-term, short-term, uh, and, 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 and. It definitely appears that it's going to be a while before we figure out the best solutions to this. But it was interesting to find out. I think the biggest takeaway was that some of it has to do with this earlier puberty and and then on top of earlier puberty and the the sort of the difference in time between the two parts of our brain maturing that you then on top of it have more stimulus than obviously any generation has ever experienced. And we're trying to figure out what that does. And then obviously we're definitely trying to figure out how we're going to combat this. What are the solutions both from a a point of view of medicine and also of behavior modification, or even maybe just behavior regulation, things that we need to sort of enforce adolescents to do for the sake of their well-being. You know, I, I, I literally don't know what those things are, but I do know that, and the video alludes to this too, that a lot of the things that help regulate adolescent complications like social interaction, sport, being outside, you know, these things are harder to achieve, particularly post pandemic, but just in general, people are getting a lot of their needs met online, but perhaps those needs, it's not, it's not a complete replacement uh again an assumption but i I, I think a pretty a, a pretty reasonable assumption you know and listen it's it's not to say that it was a perfect world before there was still bullying there was still issues with you know uh exclusion and people trying to figure out where they fit in but uh it, it, it perhaps is was not as difficult as the situation now and I, I think part of the I think part of the problem now is that you, you can find solace or you can find an escape in virtual interaction but it, it number one it, it, it probably doesn't give you enough of the things that you need as a human just just the social uh, uh and actually understanding of hierarchical needs you know the, like that's the part of what happens in that part of the brain that fires up during puberty is a sort of like a an awareness of the hierarchy or you're finding your position in the hierarchy but um uh, but when when you when you find when you plug a hole with online connection that it, 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 not only does it not give you enough, but it also opens you up to the internet's dark side, uh perhaps a, a sense that you may, you know, go down the wrong path. I mean, there's plenty of dangerous places down there um, uh, and I think the hopelessness that then comes with, Complete confusion, depression, uh, anxiety, and then the darker solutions, self-harm, thoughts of suicide, you know, it, 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 does, it does make sense that this is what's going on, you know, the solutions to not having it, very difficult, and, and I have talked to a lot of parents, because I am now getting to the age where a lot of parents are starting to worry about this, and they all say that the mental health shit is the big issue. A lot of struggles. Um, and God knows I don't know the solution. But what I was thinking though, is, walking back from the cafe and I was thinking that like maybe this is just I don't know. I don't have any science behind this, but I've joked about it before and I've definitely talked about it before. But just the fact that we were forced just due to lack of entertainment in the past, to either seek out other people, to have real human social interaction, or but also to just be with ourselves without stimulus. The fact that it's almost impossible to find that time these days has to be part of this. It has to be. You know, because I was laughing to myself, because I was like, God, you know, when you think of, because it starts early, right? When you think of a five-year-old these days, Like, I watch them. uh, I'll have my nephews over the house. Uh, Cousins will visit. And uh, they'll stay out in the Hamptons, you know? And I'll wake up at 6 a.m. There's one particular cousin. I wake up early like I always did. And this is a story about waking up early. But I'll wake up like I always did. And I'll come out. And my little cousin will come out. And he'll walk to a seat, put on the headphones, take out the iPad and start watching the shows that he watches, which I have no problem with. This is what kids do nowadays. But it makes me think of, when I was a kid, I woke up at 5 a.m. every day. I woke up at 5 a.m. every day, and I came downstairs, and I turned on the TV, and there was fuzz on it. Or there was fucking rainbow colors on NBC. I had to wait for TV to start. Now, I know a lot of comedians joke about this. I'm not really even saying it, from a jokey point of view, I'm just literally walking down the street remembering that I was forced to wait. I was forced to figure out a way to entertain myself. Myself and my brothers, you know, as they got older and we had to wait for TV, we fucking entertained ourselves. You know, or we ate ice cream from the fridge, which was another little, you know, maybe that was when, uh, that was when my trouble with eating began. Waiting for the Patchwork family to start on Channel 5 but I waited for TV to start literally fucking fuzz on the TV fucking which is funny because now sometimes I put on white noise to fall asleep yeah now white noise is some sort of fucking meditative luxury where it was actually like my enemy in 1982 God I used to love when TV started the patchwork family And then Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But like we had to wait, you know? And if you were up late, like teenagers these days, adolescents that maybe stay up late, there was no fucking TV. Now, honestly, I had cable by the time I was at a time where I was staying up late, so there was TV. But I do remember a time of TV shutting down. Irish people definitely remember a time of TV shutting down. TV was still shutting down when I moved to fucking Ireland. You know? The National Anthem and then Kaput. Kaput. And again, I know I know this is talked about a lot, but I think it, I think you can easily forget how little we were distracted, just naturally, you know. So that has to like that has to be a skill set that's been lost, a way to entertain yourself that's not so stimulated. There has to be some things that we just don't learn anymore because we always have our phone. I mean, I, obviously I do it. I'm a, I'm a fucking, I'm in my forties. I'm never on my own. I'm always got my fucking phone going. I literally had to fucking go on my phone and turn on the fucking headspace guy. Back in fucking summer of 2020, I fucking shut my crazy thinking down because I lost all my crutches, my comedy and, you know, my, my fucking touring, traveling, you know, all my, all my distractions were gone, you know, ended up fucking thinking, running out of control. Also, I got fucking. Uh, so today we're gonna, you know, like I got the fucking Headspace guy on my phone. I'm, I'm fucking going, going to the devil, looking for, looking for angels, you know. But uh, the truth is that there has to be skills lost, so it's not it's not a surprise that we're seeing something change in adolescence. Every generation has their changes. The TV used to be the devil, but I used to fucking watch fuzz whereas now i can i like not only can you wake up as a five-year-old fucking crack into your ipad but you have choice after choice after choice after choice you have every cartoon ever fucking made to man i was stuck watching the cartoons that were on and they were only on from six to nine. I remember thinking it was so weird when there was a cartoon on at night. When there was a cartoon on at night at a time where it was supposed to be adult TV, it would look so weird to me. I actually remember just thinking, it just looked distinctly odd to see a cartoon at night. And it was always around like Christmas time. there would be like Frosted Snowman, it'd be on at night. And then you'd be like, wow, a cartoon at night. Stuff for us at night. Because cartoons, they used to come back on at three o'clock after school, like three to six, and then the fucking news would start, or three to five, then the news would start. Kid TV was over. It's fucking news time, you know? Trump is on the TV. John Gotti's on the TV now. No more fucking cartoons, you know? Adult time. And then Jeopardy. Seven o'clock, baby. But uh, not anymore everybody's watching whatever the fuck they want to watch shit man i got into all my children i literally now this is again this is not for irish people but my mother was a big all my children person one o'clock abc all my children and uh, i was a soap opera five days a week with erica kane i think it was her name uh, Susan Lucci played her she was like the, the main woman Um, and I got into it because if I was home like during the summer days off my mother would be watching All My Children I got into it that's how little fucking TV there was I was a fucking eight year old watching the trials and tribulations of wealthy people on ABC people having affairs and you know money people falling out over money <laughs> That's how few options I had, you know? Whereas, you know, if I was an adolescent, you know, even, even eight years ago, I'd be watching fucking Jake Paul and Logan Paul doing their stupid fucking pranks, you know? I just, of course this is going to have affected people. For good or for bad, I don't know. but And I'm not saying all my children was good for me, but I'm just telling you that the options were limited, all right? When the channels were low... I was watching fucking soap operas at one o'clock. Uh, I was watching Regis and Kathy Lee at fucking nine because the cartoons were over. And I love Regis Feldman still to this day. I remember being behind him on a line going to see Colin Quinn and thinking it was the coolest thing ever. You know? So, I'm just saying that it's only natural. So, I feel, honestly, I feel for them. They annoy me sometimes because, uh, you know, they fucking complain about, you know, obviously sometimes you just want to be like, deal with it, get over it. Like, it's all in your fucking head, but it it, 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 it it's not, it's like impossible for me to understand it. It's, it's always impossible to go back to that adolescence, the way you felt, but it's also, uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's very hard to put a forty six year old's mind onto how those struggles manifest in the in, in the brain of an adolescent and the hopelessness that comes from the way that it's happened for them, which is I can't identify with it. You know? But I do think it's one of the big issues of our time. And I hope I hope we, we, we get a handle on it. Because I, I do think that it's becoming very clear that the mental health solutions uh medication and i'm, I'm pro medication but i think it's becoming clear that th- th- there's more that has to happen in society than just medication and that, that there might be some ways that we can uh help some of this uh by by changing behavior or you know like you know like like basically like you have an obesity crisis changing your diet and exercise and and and, and helping society to achieve that is like like uh a very successful and essential public health measure. When it comes to adolescent mental health issues, we're going to have to figure out what behavior we need to encourage to prevent and aid adolescents who are struggling, prevent the struggles and also aid those that are struggling. I have no idea what they are, but I think that there has to be more of an emphasis on real human interaction. Um, there has to be more of an emphasis on uh, less screen time, but I don't know how to achieve that. But I just, I think there needs to, it's almost like there needs to be messaging that's like, it's not like we're being annoying adults telling you to get off your phone. We're actually saying that like it's imperative because your generation is dying as a result of not doing these behaviors. But I think we need to become very clear about which behaviors they are, which positive behaviors, what is the equivalent of, Ten thousand steps for an adolescent in relation to their mental health, in relation to uh, less screen time, what drugs to avoid, um, uh, you know, what, uh, what social media, what to be aware of on social media. You know what I mean? Like, I think we need to get very clear about that because I think it's like the issue of our time. Um, but again, I don't know what they are, but but I do think that. We need, in a way, we need the equivalent of this is drugs, this is your brain on drugs, any questions. We need the equivalent of these kind of public health campaigns related to mental health. But we need to fucking very quickly figure out with science-based evidence what are the best uh, behaviors we can encourage to help people. You know? And, And it's not just it should include like opening up to people about how you feel, but, but also like it can't just be see a psychiatrist and get some meds, you know, because that's very, that's very specific to each individual. But what can we do as a society to, to stem some of this change? But I got to think encouraging less pseudo social interaction, cyber social interaction uh, we have to replace some of that with real human interaction. I know that brings its own stresses and, you know, people have social anxiety and, you know, group dynamics aren't the fucking answer to all our problems because they cause plenty of problems for people. But I do think that it it, it could be a harm reduction method for sure. Um, and I think we need to get to the bottom of why the fuck we're having earlier puberty. Um, and... You know, it wouldn't hurt to get into sort of like, well, you know, what's 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 the best diet uh, in adolescence to just decrease uh, certain hormone secrete, You know, whatever. Just like we just need to get like a definitive message. Almost like, even though this is controversial and the food pyramid is controversial, right? Because it's just it, it's evolved over time and people debate about the food pyramid. But we almost need like a just a very definitive group of things that are essential for your mental health, particularly in adolescence where you're just so, you're such a work in progress. And like the foundation of this building, that's going to be standing for odds on 80 years could end up being defective because there was so much fucking problems in your adolescence, you know? And uh, sorry, I don't want that to be alarmist, like, oh, because I don't want some people now thinking about their own adolescence and thinking, shit, do I have a fucking, uh, a, a fucked up foundation, you know? Do I have, what are those the things that are causing problems in Irish building now, the fucking, the, anyway, the 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 blocks that are all cracking up, people are having to pay out of their own pocket to fix their houses that are crumbling. I don't want you to think that you use those blocks, you use defective blocks in the in the foundation stones of of your own mental health but 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 you but i think you know what i mean but i, I by the way <laughs> I, I i definitely have some defective blocks for my fucking adolescence i'll tell you that right now you know i i i i i i definitely carry around the oddness of an odd adolescence so trust me i'm not judging you i'm only identifying you know heading off to another country on your own at 14, fucking dealing with your shit, you know, doing all this time. Like I was watching this video, this fucking, you know, your, your brain popping off during puberty and the other part of your brain not developing in time. And I was like, good Lord. Not only was I fucking on my own at 14 while all this shit was popping off in my brain, but I was fucking drunk all the time, you know? And then by 16, I was taking fucking psychedelics. So God knows what fucking defects I have in my fucking foundation stones of my mental health. But hey, you make the you make the most of it um so that's it guys good app that's an episode it's another episode of me on my own uh, I'm recording an episode with Dave McSavage now in, in the afternoon I'll probably I'll probably double down on Katie Taylor with Dave I' might have a laugh about it sorry for the delay on getting that one up it's just it's it's a it's a, it's a tough one you know because me and Dave were quite happy we've recorded quite a lot but it's like... Because I feel like, you know, right at the beginning, I just suddenly felt the gaze, I felt the ears of of the Irish. You know, because I feel like there'll be plenty of people that'll be curious about this pairing. And I thought, I suddenly got like a little paranoid about how good it should be at the beginning. That We don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss that moment. But also, I was the ears. The ears bring fears. <laughs> the 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 mind of the anxiety written podcast host. The ears bring fears. More ears, more fears. More ears, more chance that the searing pen of the hater could rise. Uh, so, uh, I was also, you know, conscious of like making sure that in those early episodes where the high ears are, before you get, you know, before you get the fans, you just have the voyeurs, um uh so I was just like worried uh I was just overly critical of what we put out so sorry for the delay even though I've mentioned it but Dave is coming over I mean I literally have 5 episodes worth of material but I'm trying to put out 3 episodes to start um and we've had some great ones and some not great ones just in terms of you know getting you know getting a feel for each other but that will be out soon um but you know, one of the reasons I actually asked Dave was because I I wanted you know Dave is Dave would I would, I would put him down as quite a quite a bold performer if you've ever seen Dave McSavage live on stage, uh, which you know it can be hit or miss in terms of the risk taking it's risk reward and and when it when it lands it lands but you know when it when it doesn't land it can be the opposite of fun because the room can turn which is Dave enjoys. uh skating along that that edge you know and um i appreciate it as a performer especially as somebody who just watches comedy all the time the excitement of that is uh you know it's kind of like moving from smoking heroin to shooting heroin you kind of need that fucking you know you need you need something to really spark your interest um so the one of the reasons why i asked dave was i was like oh well, he's so bold on stage I need somebody to pull me out of my fucking anxiety about everything I say. You know, I need to I need to basically not be afraid to be wrong because there's so much fun in being wrong, but the consequences of being wrong have risen. But I see people, you know, who are not as concerned about being wrong thriving, and I feel like that the the freedom that comes from not being overly concerned about being wrong Uh, leads you to greater moments on your pod it's more fucking fun basically you know so i was like i need to get dave to fucking help me to not be afraid to be wrong but he's fucking worse than me his anxiety about all this stuff so actually it's literally uh a podcast of two people who are just like dealing with that fear of being wrong you know and when I say being wrong, I literally mean just having the wrong opinion on a thing, you know? Uh, and again, I'm not going to start complaining about cancel culture. This isn't a cancel culture complaint. This is just a, an admission of uh, the emotions that myself and Dave are dealing with, which is leading to a slight delay in publication. Um, and it also leads to a slight often lack of spontaneity in conversation because you start thinking about other people listening to it rather than just conversing. Um But anyway, that's it. Listen, you've been very good with the reviews, and I really appreciate it. If you haven't done so, please do. Scroll down to the end of the uh podcast episode list on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review, five stars. Leave a review. Uh Any review is fine. And... Uh, but also do spread the word. Screenshots uh, on your Instagram, on your Facebook, um, and uh, I do. By the way, I the, the podcast now automatically posts onto my Facebook, so uh, you can listen to it there also. Um, so if you happen to, if it happens to pop up on your Facebook, um, don't be afraid to leave a, a comment. I've already had a positive effect of. Adding uh, my podcast to Facebook. In that, uh, a a distant cousin of mine from Banan and Kerry uh, near the tunnel in Glen listened to the podcast about my grandmother's life, and uh, he's reached out to me. He wants to talk to me because he knows more stuff. Also, has one or two corrections. Nothing, nothing uh, controversial. But just he knows exactly where they used to hide IRA men during the War of Independence or during the Tan time. As they call it down there, uh, he knows a bit more information on where they used to do that, uh, you know. And it's just good to really get into fact because I do think that some people think I've sort of like romanticized this crazy story. But um, so actually, a, a cousin of my mother's reached out to me from New Jersey to tell me that he had heard the pod and he wanted to chat to me. Um, so I'm going to chat to him probably in the autumn cause I'm leaving, but, uh, so the already a benefit of it being on Facebook, perhaps other people knowing about the pod that wouldn't have known about it. Um, it was very interesting actually because my cousin in New Jersey, my mother's cousin, uh, I, I think it was my mother's second cousin. Um, so my great, it, it was my great grandfather's brother's grandchild is who this woman is. So uh, I think that makes her my mother's second cousin. Um, she was telling me that most people thought that the house was haunted up there years after it was like left abandoned and wasn't torn down to the 1970s. That everybody in Gareth thought the house was haunted. So the plot thickens on my grandmother's house. If you've seen the show, you'll know that I discuss it. Um... So anyway, I'll wait to talk to Danny. I'm going to try to record it. Whether it's a podcast episode or not, I want the fucking evidence on audio. I want the information about the deep, dark secrets of my past from down there on the border between Cork and Kerry, At the entrance to the tunnel on the Cox side, there were stories that were down there before. Speaker, people never spoke much of it. Until that loud-mouthed Irish-American comedian started spilling family secrets all over Ireland. And soon more secrets sp- spilled. And the ghost rose from the grave with a very simple message to his great-grandchild: Will you ever shut the fuck up and stop going on about how I fucking died, will you? Anyway, I'll talk to you guys next week. From New York. Probably from West Hampton. Come on, Katie. Slalom. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50